Hi, this is Wild Nick Brown, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and you are listening to yet another bonus episode of Focus on Metal. So this weekend, we are bringing you an interview with author James Curl, all about his brand new docking book, Docking Into the Fire and Other Embers of 80s Metal History. Longtime Focus on Metal listeners probably remember that uh, we had James on before talking all about his Dio book. A great read, by the way. But this weekend, uh, like I said, we got him back on the show this time talking about his Dokken book. So good conversation between James and Richie, all about uh, their opinions on Dokken and how the book came together. And then at the tail end of it, James is even going to let us in on what book he's working on next, which uh, me, as a guitar player, I'm uh, very interested in checking out. And as a longtime Dokken fan, I'm very interested in checking out this read as well. I can remember that uh, you know my whole Dokken deal went back to finding the uh, original Dokken album in the import bin when I don't even remember what what age I was, but uh, you know, brought that home and checked that out, and just I was just amazed by the guitar playing and all that. And I still have that vinyl, and I just kept on through the years. You know, when a lot of the bands that I was in, uh, lead guitar player was, they, you know, almost guaranteed to be a huge George Lynch fan. So we had played a lot of different docking covers and, you know, always tried to dial in that classic George Lynch guitar tone. And of course, you guys also know that we've uh, had a long history on the show here with uh, Jeff Pilson, had him on a crap load of times. Obviously, we've had Wild Mick on, we've had Don on. And to keep everything complete, we now have a guy on who wrote a book about docking. So with that being said, why don't I turn it over to Richie as he talks with author James Curl all about docking into the fire and other embers of 80s metal history. Hey, hey, how are you? Hey, James, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. How's that? Considering uh, all things. Yeah, yeah. How's the, uh, how's the press going for the book so far? Good, good. It's really, it's really going good. It's selling pretty good. I got some, some orders coming in, so I'm happy with it. I heard you do an interview with Neely and Chris on the Classic Metal Show, I think it was the last weekend. Yeah, yeah, weekend before, I think it was. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. I know you got Neely to do the forward. He's a, he's a huge Dawkins fan, and he knows Don pretty well. Yeah, he's the one who hooked me up uh, hooked me up with Don for the interviews. You know, I did about, oh, I don't know, six or seven interviews with Don, and he's the one who got me in touch with Don. Mm. Um, when I spoke to you a couple of years ago, we were talking about the Dio book. Um, you just started doing this one and you were in the process of talking to Jeff, but I don't think you were hooked up with Don. If you have only have gotten Jeff, would you still have done the book? Yeah, I would have. I would have. Okay. And it would have made it a lot harder though. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. But I would have gotten all the information one way or another. I mean, their, their life stories are pretty much laid out online you know you can find just about anything about anybody nowadays and they've done thousands of interviews over the years uh so i would have done the book i would i would not have wanted to i wouldn't have been as passionate about it if i didn't have don and jeff helping and and a whole bunch of other guys but i probably would have done it anyway Mm. what what do you think is the biggest misconception out there about docking uh that they were just uh 
uh, a typical hairband. And, you know, they may have had that image for a while, but I have found through my research and talking to people that they were a lot more talented than, than given credit for, I think. You know, I mean, obviously George Lynch is hugely talented. Uh, Jeff Pilson is another hugely talented guy. I mean, the guy's multi-instrumental. He can sing. He can write music. I mean, he wrote, he helped write half of the, the hit songs that Dawkins had. And Mick Brown, the guy has a great voice, and, and he's a great drummer. So I think that's one of the misconceptions. So I want to talk a little bit about interviewing Jeff and interviewing Don. Um, okay. What's the one thing you wanted to learn about Dawkins from Jeff? Is there one overriding thing you wanted to know about Dawkins from him? Uh, really, I just wanted to know how they all came together. And uh, that was the one big important thing. I wanted to know a, a lot of the early history, you know, where Jeff came from, how he got to, got to join Dawkins. And same thing with Don. I wanted to know about Don's early days, what he did before he got into Dawkins. And I got all that great information in the book, you know, how Don was a cook and he worked on uh, old cars. He was a mechanic and he did all these things before he became a band, before he, he really hit big with Dawkin, you know. Mm. James, was there any particular album that you wanted to ask Don or Jeff about? Tooth and Nail, because that's my favorite album. Mm. I, wanted, I wanted to know all about it and uh, the writing process and, and, uh, and I got all that great information those guys about how they put the album together and uh how it was really their last shot because they had come out with the previous album uh breaking the chains and uh it didn't really hit you know so they had one one last shot to get it right so they came out with tooth and nail and that's the album that really that really broke them really got them into the mainstream mm. now you have jack russell in the book and he has some great stories in it um but what pushed you in his direction? Was did Don or Jeff mention Jack, or how did that all come about? Uh, let me see. I knew that Jack and Don were really good friends, so I re I just reached out to Jack uh, through his website, and uh, I was put in touch with him through his guitar player. And uh, Jack was a great interview and a, and a really big help, giving me some of those stories. You know. Mm. How many hours do you reckon you interviewed? Did you interview Jeff more than Don? Uh, I I probably interviewed Jeff a couple more times than Don. I probably spent a total of, uh, oh, probably, oh, man, maybe four or five hours total. <laughs> mm. I'll tell you my story about meeting Jeff Pilson the first time. He's a class act, right? So on our show about five years ago, we did a project on Dio's Strange Highways record. So he played on that after, not just before Dysfunctional. And... I tried to contact some of the musicians on the record. Of course, Ronnie had passed away at this stage. And I, right. I contacted Tracy G, the guitar player. I thought maybe I might get one of them on. Um, so Tracy, I did over the phone. And when I contacted Jeff, he asked me, where did I live? And I said, I live um, just outside of Boston. And he said, I'm playing up with Foreigner in New Hampshire in about a month's time. I'll put you on the guest list. You can come to the show. I'll do it in person. And he had no idea who I was. Oh, wow. And um, right. we, we went ahead and we did the interview. And since then, I've done another interview with him. And right. when I finished the interview with him, I only had 10 minutes. I really wanted to talk to him about a race to slate. And uh, he, he did it the week after. Uh, 
he gave me another 40 minutes on the phone about a race to slate. He is a class act, one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the business. Oh, I have to agree. Yeah, he couldn't have been nicer with me. And, and you know, is there anything else you need to know? Is there any questions you have? You know, if you, if you do, please call me back. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I, I took full advantage of that. And, uh, you know, I, and I expressed to him, you know, multiple times that I was very thankful for him to, to take the time out and, uh, you know, do the interviews and, and send him a free copy of the book and all that. But, yeah, he's just a great guy. Mm. You know, and to be fair, Don was great too. You know, every time I talked to him, he was willing to talk and gracious and and uh, open and and really just told me anything I really wanted to know. You know, mm. did you talk to Don face to face for any of the interviews, or was it all done over the phone? Those were all done over the phone, but I did go down to the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame this past January and uh, he was being inducted in heaven Men hall of fame. So we all hung out Neely and Don and myself and my best friend and Bob now and a, and a whole bunch of other guys. And, and we all uh, hung out at the bar for four or five hours talking and having a good time. And we hung out throughout the night and uh, you know, had a really good time. Mm, I know Bob, he's a great guy. I've been on his skull sessions podcast a couple of times. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, he's um he's an encyclopedia of, of knowledge. Yeah, I don't know I don't know if anybody knows more than him about heavy metal and hard rock. And he 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 knows everybody. Right. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like everyone's like, "Hey, Bob." <laughs> yeah, the guy's amazing. He uh he got me a, a a VIP pass for the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. I had I had purchased two tickets for myself and my best friend. And I went in and he said, Oh no, no, no. He said, I have a, a, a pass for you. Here you go. And he gives me this VIP pass and it, it allowed me to go anywhere I wanted. Mm. And I was mm. like, this is, this is crazy. I'm walking around with rock stars and I'm a nobody. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that was, uh, that's awesome. Now, James, when you spoke to Jeff and Don, um, was there anything that they said was off limits about the band that they didn't want to talk about? Not real. They didn't specifically say anything. I just, I just told them to talk about what they feel comfortable about. And I said, uh, you know, if I ask anything that's too personal, just let me know. But I tried to keep it, you know, I tried to keep it respectful. I didn't want to get into it. It it wasn't, it's not a biography about any one person. So I didn't want to get into their personal lives, their wives, their, you know, ex-girlfriends, divorces, anything like that. So no, I mean, basically it was just band stuff. And, and everything was pretty much out in the open. Mm. Now, when, when I interviewed Jeff and I interviewed Don about a race to slate, some of the things they, they said to me, contradict, one of them contradicted the other on a couple of different things. When you spoke to Jeff and Don, did that come up a lot on any of the, on, in any of the interviews where you, like one of them said one thing and then you went to Don, well, Jeff said that, what, what do you think happened? Not that I could recall, really. Uh, I know that that neither, you know, I know that Don didn't really like the album much. He expressed that to me. You know, he thought there was a, a couple of good songs. And, you know, Jeff expressed to me that, you know, it was a changing of the times and they changed the sound and, and you know, the album wasn't really cohesive and, and this and that. And, you know, you but talk- no, there wasn't really anything conflicting as far as I can remember. You're talking about Shadow Life, yeah. Oh, I'm talking about Shadow Life. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's all right. I I, I spoke. So you're to, you're I, talking about Erase the Slate. Yeah, I was talking about Erase the Slate, but we talked okay. we talked about Shadow Life as well. And 
let's talk a little bit about that record because um yeah dysfunctional is my favorite docking record right and, great record yeah and i bought shadow life when it came out and i think it's for the most part it's garbage right. um now i i did get a chance to interview mick brown about two years ago and uh-huh. I, we'll get into we'll get into him and not you couldn't get him for the book in, in a second but mick just kept talking and talking and talking and talking he was great very funny guy um right but he said to me that a lot of Dawkins' best music, in his opinion, is on that record. Oh, really? So yeah. he likes the album. He lo- he loves it. But um, what what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I don't like it that much, to be honest. Hmm. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was, you know, it, it didn't sound a lot like Dawkins to me. You know, there was maybe one song I liked on there. Yeah, yeah. Did, did, did you? When is the first time you saw them live? Oh, it was back in the 80s, San Diego at some time, probably 88, I would imagine. Okay. Uh, would that be on the Monsters of, Monsters of Rock tour? Yeah. I want to say it was Monsters of Rock or Day on the Green, one of those. Oh, you lucky man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I, it, was, it was one of those shows. Day on the, uh, I, had to, yeah. I had to wait until 2013, I think, to see him. Yeah. Um, living in Ireland, uh, they, they never really came. Actually, they came once, and here's an interesting story that's not in the book. They played with Accept, and you mentioned that in the book that they did a tour with Accept in um, uh-huh. in in England and Northern Ireland. And I Don told me this story, and Jeff told me the same story. Their bus got firebombed in Belfast, um, oh, wow. and. They wa- they came out. The bus was on fire. All their stuff was in the bus, and it's interesting. But Lynch Mob played a European tour with, with Queensrÿche when they did Empire a few years later, and Anthony Esposito, the bass player, told me that George didn't want to play in Ireland on that tour because of what happened with their bus in Northern Ireland five or six years previous to that. Oh wow! Yeah, so I, I was like, he was a little nervous about it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. But um, let let's talk a little bit about George and Mick and not being able to get them for the book. Now, Mick, I know Mick Mick didn't do any interviews with you at all. Um, you must have reached yeah, out to him though, and he just never got back to you, or just said no. I did. I reached out to Mick, and he said uh, he wants to write his own book. Okay, and, he, and uh, he he wants to you know get somebody to give him an offer on a book and stuff and work on his own book. I did get in touch with George, and I did uh, two really good interviews with him, and he told me stuff that you will never find online. And then I scheduled a third interview, interview, and then he said, uh, you know, I decided not to help, so don't use anything I have. And so I respected that, and you know. A, I got the feeling he probably wants to keep all of his secrets for his own, to do his own book, mm. you know, Did, and to be fair, he was very nice and uh wonderful interview. And uh, so I just respected his, his choice and, and went ahead with the book. Did he ask a lot of questions in the beginning about what sort of book it was going to be? Yeah, he uh, he did. He asked uh, all of the guys did, you know, and I just explained to him that it's going to be a book that has a little bit of the Sunset Strip history and it has, you know, just covers Dawkins' career. 
you know, I explained to them that's not a biography on anybody or anything like that. Mm. One of the things I found reading the book, especially up to back for the attack, and you can tell me if I'm completely off base with this, but I'm reading it and I'm reading each chapter on all the albums and I'm thinking, why, why is George Lynch still in the band? Why did he not walk? Because right from the beginning, he claimed Don took songs from him and that he was miserable and and it went album by album by album. And I'm thinking, here's a hotshot guitar player. There's probably bands screaming out for him to play with, for him to play with, to get him. Sure. And he's, sure. he stays with Dokken. And it got me thinking that if you're in a normal job, right, you want camaraderie, you want job satisfaction. Sure. Yeah, as a motivator. Right. You want to get on with the sure. people you're with and then there's the money and there's only so long you can do it for the money if you're not happy with what you're doing. And right. I'm reading that and I'm thinking that has to be it for George. It has to be the financial thing. And I'm sure that was a big part of it, but I get the impression that he just wasn't happy with the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he was. I, I think, you know, he and Don didn't get along. And that caused a lot of problems, and there was a lot of drugs going on, as Don told me, you know, several times. But yeah, you would think that he he could have just taken off at any time, but he didn't, you know. And I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to do is because because of the success, you know. And maybe he was maybe he was a little nervous about getting out of a band that was hitting big and putting out platinum albums, you know. Hmm. I mean, he he got into he got into Lynch Mob, and and while that was a really great band, they weren't as successful as Dokken, you know. But he he said in in the book that if he had a form in his own band, he wouldn't have had Don as a singer. And then he right. He, and then he said also in the book that what's your problem? And he he said the name of the band. It's named after you. And I'm thinking, well, what are you staying for then? <laughs> you know exactly. <laughs> Well, then he goes out and makes his own band and calls it Lynch Mob with his name, you know, on the banner. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. But uh, I guess he had to use something, you know, rec- recognizable, you know. you got to have that brand, you know. Mm. Mm. So let, let's talk about some of, the, some of the people that, other people that you couldn't get in the book. And we'll talk a little bit, James, in a minute about the other guys that are in it. Did you reach out to Neil Kernan at all? Yeah, I, I did. I tried to get him, and oh, there was a couple people that I couldn't get a hold of for one reason or another. You know, they just didn't return emails or 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 anything on social media. Mm, mm. I think Neil would have been fascinating because um, he did under lock and key, and he did back yep. for the attack. And I I know Rock Candy Records when they when they reissued back for the attack, they had an interview with Neil. And he was down for, to do Operation Mindcrime at Queensryche, and he couldn't do it right. because Back for the Attack ended up running way over because of the way Don and George wanted think, things done. Right. So right. I think he would have been a fascinating guy to get, but you can't get everybody. Yeah, there, there would have been a lot of great guys. I would love to have gotten a hold of their managers, uh, Cliff Bernstein, Guys like that, and, and I, I reached out. I tried reaching out to everybody multiple times. You know, uh, John Norum, uh, guys like that, Mickey D, and I just most of the time just you never get a response back. You know. Hmm. Um. I interviewed Michael Alago. You know the A and R guy, and um, yeah. he's got a book out now. Uh, it, it just brought it out there about two months ago, 
and he was the A and R guy for Dokken, for Beast for the East. And right. we talked about ego before all of this with bands and how he managed ego. And he when I when I talked to him about Dokken, he said that now that's a band with unhealthy ego. That <laughs> he, they, and he was I think he was trying to be politically correct, but I think towards the end they must have just been a nightmare to deal with. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, everybody was really unhappy. You know, there was there was a lot of unhappiness going on. Hmm. Hmm. So, what about Bobby Blotzer? Did you try to get him on? I did, and uh, I, I don't know what I can or can't say on this on uh, uh, with you on the phone, so I won't repeat the uh, the bad words he said in the email <laughs> <laughs> and how he felt about the hair metal bands and how he felt about. Don, George, and Mick, but he loved Jeff. But it was quite the the the, the tirade of vulgarity, let me tell you. Mm. <laughs> and all you're doing is asking him. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted an interview. I, I didn't need you to go off on me, you know, and, and mm. he definitely went off, and he is definitely not a, I would say, I don't know the man at all. Maybe he's not happy. I don't know, but he definitely wasn't happy with Don, George, or Mick, or any of the hair metal bands including all of the other ones. He listed a whole bunch of them. Wow. <laughs> so I would love to have talked to him because he goes way back with Don, all the way back to pre and you know, into the, when Don played in the band Airborne back mm-hmm. in the 70s. Mm. So yeah, I did try to get a hold of him too. What about Juan Crucier? I tried multiple times to get a hold of him. Never got a response. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I, I must have tried 10 times with Juan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? You got some good stuff out of Red Beach. Yep, Red Beach was great, and Michael Wagner was great. The uh, Don's friend, Michael Wagner, the producer, he's a great guy. I interviewed him a couple times, mm. and uh, uh, Tom Warman, who worked with the, on the Tooth and Nail album, talked to him. He was really great too. Another great guy. Mm. Lots of great information. How did you get Peter? So, yeah. How did you get Peter Baltus? Oh, I sent him a message and he replied right back. He was like, oh yeah, here's my phone number. Give me a call. You know? So mm. he was really willing to do a couple of interviews. Mm. Nice guy. Mm. I've, I've never interviewed him. Yeah, he was, he's a good interview. Nice guy. And, uh, you know, told me all about touring around and playing on the Up From The Ashes album and, you know, all the stuff that's in the book uh, with MTV and all that. So, yeah. That story in the book where Don got beaten up, um, Ooh. that's a... Uh, that, that was pretty harrowing. <laughs> this is yeah, I, you know, it's like he had serious health issues after. I didn't realize how bad they were. Yeah, he definitely got beat up pretty bad. I mean, hard enough where the guy hit him with a two by four and broke the two by four. Mm. You know, mm. yeah, unbelievable. Mm. I, I I wonder if maybe some of that is a result of uh, why he's got some problems with his left hand nowadays. You know. Yeah, he's got the the nerve problem in his left hand. He had the the surgery on his neck, so I wonder if maybe because of that beating he took back in you know 1991, if that didn't contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen on a couple of Facebook group pages, and you're commenting on them as well, James. Um, a lot of people are wondering: Is there anything in the book that's not widely known? And you're answering the the questions, and I'm not going to get into a lot of them here because you've answered a lot of them, but. The one question I do ha- have about the book is, did you want to kind of break down the albums a bit more uh, and do like a chapter on each record with a, a recollection about every song on, on the albums? Yeah, something like that. I, I kind of like doing that where I, I talk a little bit in the chapter about each album. Yeah. 
mm. and uh, give 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 a review and you know talk about some of the songs and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. But did you want Jeff or Don maybe to break it down a little bit more song by song as well? Uh, not not really. Okay. Uh, I asked him questions about a few of the songs, but you know, yeah, not really. Okay. Tell me about interviewing John Levin because um he seems he comes across a great guy. He's a superb guitar player. Oh yeah, he's he's wonderful guitar player, and he was uh, he was really cool. He was at first he was worried if uh, worried that I might be bashing him, you know, that maybe I was a a, a huge you know Dawkins and George Lynch fan, and I assured him I had nothing bad to say about him. So once I assured him of that, he was more than happy to to go ahead with the interview and tell me about his early life and how he got into Dawkins and stuff like that, you know. Mm. Mm. What's your favorite? What's your favorite record he's done with Dawkins? Uh, Lightning Strikes Again. Oh, because of the old school sound. Yeah, I like I like that album, and I, I do like Broken Bones too. Hmm. Hmm. That's a good record, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah, I like that album. The one, the one thing I find, and this is this is a lot happens with a lot of bands. Is you mentioned Dawkins, and all they meant talk about is back up to back for the attack, and that's it. And they don't realize that they've done like six or seven records since then. Oh, I know. Yeah, and, and and a couple of those records are really, really darn good. You know, they're really good. Mm. Did you catch Dokken with uh, with Norum or or with uh, with John Levin? No, I've I've only seen him with well, I've seen him with John Norum because I saw him here in Sacramento about oh I don't know a year ago, eight months ago, something like that. Okay, I've seen him with Norum, but I've always seen him original. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So James, yeah, I've always seen him with George. Yeah. Okay. The final question from me, right? This is a bit like the Sammy Hagar, David Lee Roth thing, right? Where you're either in one camp or the other, and when it comes to docking, it's either you're in Don's camp or you're in George's camp, and you can't be both. Um, yep. Did you get a sense of that when you were like writing the book, or even before then, that it was you know you were going to put po- you might polarize one over the other yeah uh i i I would have to say i'm in the don camp uh just having written the book and done all the research and knowing what i know uh but i tried to be you know i tried to be unbiased you know and and give both guys their say in the book and you know because nobody's perfect and 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 it takes two to tango you know and both have their 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 strengths and weaknesses, so to speak, and and all of that, you know. So I just tried to keep it, you know, neutral on my part. I didn't want to, you know, make one or the other sound good or bad, you know. Mm, not not so the I easiest. Just tried to keep it fair. Not the easiest thing to do, though. N- no, uh, no. <laughs> but you know, I, I don't need anybody pissed off at me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I didn't well, want to, you know, well, bring that, up any huge controversies or anything. That's true. The other thing yeah. I the other thing I got from the early section of the book up for that up for when the breakup when it came to Don and George n- none of them took the blame and said it was my fault they always blamed the, <laughs> they always blamed the other person it was always drugs and George went it was always Don and Don went it was always George and I'm like can oh, you can, can you not put your hand up and say actually I it might have been me <laughs> yeah, it, may, it may have been both of you. <laughs> yeah, because both both of you may have contributed to the you know the the problems. When, and I'm sure you know I'm I'm sure they they both they 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 both had their problems. You know. When I spoke to Jeff and Mick, 
I asked him the same question. I said, is there anything you could have done the first time to stop the band breaking up? Both of them said no. There was just nothing they could yeah. do. Um, no. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm, and I agree. You know, Mick is a great guy. You know, coming from the interview, I, I know, you know, I've met Jeff a couple of times. He's a great guy. And, you know, it's just the immovable object. And, <laughs> you know, nothing's going to happen. And they're, they're just going to end up breaking up because they were just on the cusp of being an arena band. Yeah, they really were. They were one album away from really he- being a headliner. Yeah. You know, yeah. And they, they could have they could have been headlining. You know, it's just sad that it all came crashing down like that you know crumbling down mm-hmm. so yeah, terrible yeah so james other than tooth and nail if anyone was to ask you what album to start with for docking which one would you pick oh to start with yep you know i i i love uh dysfunctional like you said i mean i really love that album but i would have to say under lock and key you know if anybody was going to go out and get the, the one album and, and start with it, get under lock and key. That's a great album. Mm. It really is a great album. And to go back earlier, what we were, what we were saying, I missed the question about erase a slate. I love that album. I think that album is a lot of fun. Mm. I think, a, I think when I had Don on last year and it was actually Neely hooked me up with Don as well. Um, I wanted Don on because it was 20 years old, the record. And right. what I found talking to Don about that is nobody asked him about that era of the band. It's always the 80s stuff. And he was really, really good talking about it. And the more questions I asked, the more he remembered and the more he got into it. Because I wasn't asking him about George and I wasn't asking him about the feud and I wasn't asking him about the drugs. Right. And I just right. I just found he was really good with talking about that era. Now, he had his issues as well with that era, especially around Long Way Home. With, um, right. with 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 you know substances, but I I find that when you go off the beaten path with these guys and talk about lesser known records, they love talking about those things. Oh yeah, I, I found that too after uh, interviewing quite a few of these guys. You know, uh, with Don, we both like old cars. You know, old cars from the '60s. So we we would spend probably the first twenty minutes on the phone talking about old cars. Nice. Before we even got into music, yeah. You know? I, I, oh, how's your Corvette? You know, how's this? How's that? And it was great. Yeah, he used to like fix up cars and build them and everything. Did. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, that was that was one of the fun things I learned uh, early on in the book was how they would take these junk cars and fix them up and sell them, you know, just to pay get money to pay the rent. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I found all that. So, sometimes all that stuff gets glossed over in a biography. But I thought you right. did. I thought you did that really well in the book. Yeah, I, I love that part. That was the most surprising part. You know, the great thing about those guys, you know, all four of them, is those guys really paid their dues. You know, they didn't come from anything. They were broke. They were living off hot dogs and 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 top ramen noodles, living in you know roach infested apartments and selling old cars to make ends meet. You know, they get those guys paid their dues. They paid their dues. George was a, a delivery driver for a, a liquor company, you know, living in the back of his car at one point. I mean, come on. These guys really paid their dues. Mm-hmm. So, James, tell everyone where they can get the book. Uh, they can get it from Amazon. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. Or they can uh, send me an email at curl88 at hotmail.com, and I can send out a copy. Although I'm a little backlogged, the, the printer is taking a long time to get books out because of the COVID 
19 virus and all of that. But yeah, curl88 at hotmail.com and on Amazon. Okay. Those are the spots. And is the DO book still available? It's still available as well. You can mm. get it directly from me at the same email or on Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles and all that good stuff. Can you believe Ronnie's 10 years dead? Oh, I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I was talking to Claude Schnell about that just yesterday. You know what? Unbelievable. You, you gave me his phone number a couple of years ago, and I never actually rang him. I'd love to speak to him. Oh, yeah. He's available, and he's a wonderful interviewer, intelligent, well-spoken, and believe me, he knows all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I know. I, I need to get him hook on. You up again. I need I to get, hook you up again. Yeah, yeah. So, James, can you tell me what you're working on next? Probably not. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm putting a book together. I'm putting a book together right now about the great '80s guitar players. So I'm gonna. Um, my plan is to interview 15 guys that basically came out in the '80s. You know, guys like Red Beach and. Uh, uh, Jeff Duncan from Armored Saint. I've already interviewed him and uh, Rowan Robertson from Dio. Although Rowan was, you know, a little late in the '80s game, he came out in '88, '89, but he's still in there. So I've got uh, about seven interviews done. I'm going to do about 15 guys total. So it'll be a book just all about some of the great guitar players that came out of the '80s. You know, I'm trying to get guys like Vinnie Moore and and uh, and uh, Frank Hannon from Tesla, and just uh, and have each guy gets a chapter to tell his story. Oh, it's going to be a really fun book. Uh, Tr- uh, Tracy G, who played with Dio, I've already done him. Greg Leon, who was in the Greg Leon Invasion. Joey Tafola from Jag Panzer, he's going to be in there. Nice. So it's going to be a it's going to be a really cool book. You know, each guy has a chapter to tell his story. And uh, I'm having fun getting all these stories from these guys and, and, and the crazy the crazy stories that they have from the Sunset Strip and, and playing with other guys. You know, Tracy G played with Jack Russell when they were teenagers. So it's going to be a fun book. Yeah, I know Rowan is English. Um, are there any other guitarists outside the U.S. in it? Uh, not not yet. None that I've interviewed yet, but there's still guys I'd like to get a hold of. Uh, I have a list of them. I'll, I can send you over a couple of names and stuff and see if you can talk to anybody i'm sure you've got a lot there's a long list of guitar players oh yeah there's a ton of them but you know i i could make the book ten thousand pages but i'm gonna try to keep it you know 15 guys maybe 20 you know but but at least just 15 guys Mm. and if i have to do a part two i can do a part two james what's the angle on that because are you going to do a chapter on each guitar player and they're just going to talk about the records they played on in the 80s they're going to talk about how they started getting into basically their their careers just talk about how they began playing guitars uh, how they the albums that they played on you know some of the crazy stories from the sunset strip just things like that you know i just basically give them an open mic and say here you go you have a whole chapter to fill up tell me your tell me tell me your story it's going to be a big it's going to be a big book then yeah so you know, most of them are, are like, okay, so they just start off, you know, when I was eight years old, my my dad got me a guitar, and, and it just goes from there. And in 1980, I was playing with Dio, and, and we were at, you know, Donington, and blah, 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 and it, it's just pretty cool, so... Do you ever pinch yourself like me talking to these guys? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do, because it's just weird. I look at my phone, and I'm like, man, I got all these, you know quote-unquote rock stars phone numbers in there yeah <laughs> and i'm texting these guys back and forth i know it's crazy isn't it 
<laughs> yeah, it's like Jeff Duncan from Armored Saint. Who, who, who'd have thought that I would ever talk to that guy? And now he's like, oh, hey, let me send you some pictures. And oh, and Oz Fox from Striper. I just uh, I, I I interviewed him Sunday, and he's going to send me a picture over for the book, and and he wants to read the chapter before I get done with it and help me out with it. So you know, and and most of these guys are really really nice guys. Yeah, it's it's know? it's nice to find out after all these years that. Ninety nine point nine percent of the people I've spoken to are not assholes. Yeah, no, they're all really cool, and they're more than willing to help. And they're like, "You want to put me in a book, really?" And then huh. they're surprised, you know. They're treating me like I'm the rock star, but I'm the one, and I'm going, "Hey, no, no, you're the rock star, man. <laughs> I'm just a guy writing a book because because uh, I think it's fun." You know. Oh. So, so do you think this one is going to take? A couple of years to do, or will it be out quicker? No, I think I'll probably knock it out in about eight months. Okay. So most of it is just, yeah, most of it is just them. All I have to do is basically type down what they tell me. I don't have to come up with stories and all that, you know? Mm. So, Mm. although it's not easy to sit there and listen to the voice recorder and sit there and type all day long and, and try to, you know, get everything perfect. It's still it's still a tremendous amount of work. Mm. Are you going to self publish it again, or did you try shop? This yeah, one? I'm going to do it just like I just like I did the other ones. Okay. I, I like doing that, and you know, and I'm not looking to get rich and get a big publishing or anything like that because they'll take all your royalties and everything. And so you know, I just do it as 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 self publishing and and have fun doing it. And you know, if I make a couple of bucks, great. You know, mm. it's all good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, James, I'm going to leave you go. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you again. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the book. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And uh, as soon as that other one comes out, I'll be getting in touch with you. Yeah, definitely. Love to have you back on. Yeah, I'll I'll text you and let you know if I I have any names for some guitar players you might be able to hook me up with. Yeah, sure. Sure, no problem. Let me know. All right, James. Take care. Take care of yourself. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. All right. That is a wrap for this bonus episode of Focus on Metal. Hopefully, uh, all you guys in the U.S. are starting to enjoy your Memorial Day weekend as things slowly open up here. And I'm looking forward to it myself. And I'll let you know that uh, next week on the show, we will be talking once again with uh, Ron Keel and also with legendary guitarist, Mitch Perry. So that is what is in store for you next week on Focus on Metal. But for this weekend, for this bonus episode, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself, Richie, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal weekend. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insane. Still here? It's over. Go home.